This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the Legislature Today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. The Senate passed several bills Wednesday, including Senate Bill 426, which allows the state's chief information security officer to establish standards for and ultimately block or ban access to technological services, apps, programs, or products on government devices. Senator Ryan Weld, a Republican from Brook County, made it clear on the floor that the bill, which originated from the executive, has one particular app in mind. This bill comes to us as a result of, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, discussions regarding TikTok. Uh, TikTok, as we all know, is the very popular uh, social media platform, video sharing platform, that is owned by a Chinese tech conglomerate, uh, ByteDance. And it has been in the news recently the, the federal government enacted a ban of TikTok on all of its systems due to privacy concerns, uh, concerns that the app collects much more data than it uh, that is needed for its intended purpose. Senate Bill 425, along with three other bills, now goes to the House of Delegates for its consideration. The Senate Finance Committee spent an hour Tuesday on the budget of the Division of Corrections and Rehabilitation, which oversees the state's prisons and jails. In response to questioning, Bill Marshall, Commissioner of the West Virginia Divisions of Correction and Rehabilitation, told Senator Eric Nelson, a Republican from Kanawha County, that it would take a pay raise of at least $10,000 for correctional officers to make the position more attractive to future candidates. If we were to potentially look at this correctly, um, would you agree that this is uh, a 40 to $60 million um, base builder that we need to consider going forward. And you're talking about not only base salary, but retirement? Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a retirement plan would be um, very, um, be very attractive. Um, it's hard, uh, a lot of our officers we talk to, it's hard to do that, do that job forever. Jeff Sandy, Cabinet Secretary for the Department of Homeland Security, fielded questions from Senator Jason Barrett, a Republican from Berkeley County, about why there's only $30 million in the governor's budget to address the $200 million corrections needs for deferred maintenance. And Senator, we're, yeah. just so you'll know, that $27 million is the locks which were broken as of like July of last year. So that does not replace every lock 
in corrections across the state. What did, you, what did your office request of the governor for deferred maintenance? Uh, again, we, what we do, sir, is we tell the governor's office and we have an itemized what jobs need to be done, roofs, locks, et cetera, and the governor's office makes the decision what uh, they feel the state could afford. But you outlined that there's $200 million in deferred maintenance. We have for six years, sir. A bill concerning the authority of the foster care ombudsman passed the House of Delegates unanimously with 100 yay votes lighting the House screen all green. The ombudsman advocates for the rights of foster children, investigates and resolves complaints, and provides assistance to foster families, among other responsibilities. Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, sponsored the bill and spoke in its favor before Wednesday's vote. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This bill permits the foster care ombudsman to monitor, investigate, and review issues with the child welfare system from intake to when the child ages out and foster children within the juvenile justice system. It adds language which protects the ombudsman from being compelled to testify or produce evidence in a proceeding on investigations. Delegate Matthew Rohrbach, a Republican from Cabell County, also spoke in favor of the legislation, noting the many discussions surrounding the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources this legislative session. What this legislature is attempting to do with this bill is to put some real accountability and enforcement into the data collection and the ability to enforce and see what's going on. This frees up the ombudsmans, give them much more control. House Bill 3061 passed unanimously onto the Senate. There are two public hearings scheduled in the House chambers tomorrow at 9 a.m. The House Judiciary Committee will take public comment on House Bill 2007, we've reported on that bill. It bans certain medical procedures for transgender youth. The Committee on Finance will also host a public hearing on House Bill 2883 at 2 p.m. A number of people are concerned about the lack of public input into the distribution of more than $1.3 billion in federal recovery funds. Both hearings are scheduled for one hour, and the time each person gets to speak is dictated by the number of speakers. Governor Jim Justice is touring the state advocating for his proposed tax cut. The House of Delegates largely agreed with the governor, but the Senate pushed back. Now the governor says he would be willing to come to a compromise. Randy Owey sat down with Governor Justice today to discuss a number of issues facing the state, including the budget surplus and tax reductions. Thanks so much, Bob. Governor, thanks for being here today no. with us. Uh, we appreciate it. No, Randy, thanks for having me. Let's start out this morning, I guess, on CBS News. You said that within 30 days, you're going to make your decision one way or another on your, whether you're going to run for the Senate. Now, I know that you have some concerns with the Biden administration and you have your thumb on national and world politics. But what are the personal deciding factors for you uh, on whether you're going to run for that or not? Well, Randy, like I said a bunch of times, you know, there's nothing about Washington that fascinates me. <laughs> and really and truly, at the end of the day, I hate like crazy, you know, that it seems like it's a contest between the Republicans and the Democrats all the time, all the time. You know, I'm really, really, really conservative in my values and everything, but I hate like crazy to see us, 
throwing rocks at one another all the time, and we ought to be Americans first and foremost. But at the end of the day, my decision will hinge completely on just this. I think our nation is in peril right now, and, uh, and, and we need a lot of healing in a lot of different ways, but I do not think that we're going to, in the right directions today. And, uh, and if I think I can really make a difference, you know, from, from, and, and that will be my decision. My family will be right with me no matter what. All that's, all that's easy and everything. But it'll boil down to being a patriot and, and having a need to go there. And that's, that's, that's all there'll be to it. In 30 days, we'll wait for your decision. No, thank you, sir. Um, education's been at the forefront of a lot of meetings with the legislature lately. Let's go over a couple of things. First of all, in your state of the state, you talked about putting all curriculum online. From what I understand, parents are, can get an awful lot of the curriculum, if not all of it now. So what was your proposal there? Well, I, basically, you know, Randy, there's certain things, you know, that there are intricacies that I may not know or may not have exactly right. But let me tell you how, what I think. I think that we should not ever, ever expose our kids to something that maybe our parents don't know about. I mean, I think our parents should be involved. That's all, that's all that I'm saying, you know. At the end of the day, our parents being involved will make things better. And that's, that's the end of the story. Early childhood learning initiatives. Governor, or, uh, Speaker Hanshaw has explained to me and shown me the data that says, yeah, this is needed if we right. want to raise those scores from the first to third grade. So, you know, you put $37 million in your budget. The, it looks like the Senate and the House are together to get these teachers' aides and helpers for first, second, and third grade. But we're struggling to just to get teachers hired right now. How are we going to get 1,500 helpers along with the teachers that we need hired? Well... It's a challenge in everything. I mean, it's a challenge, honestly, no matter what business it is today, whether it's McDonald's or teachers or coal miners. Were, it's tough all across the board, you know. But I believe, and, and I don't need to, I'm not circling back to this. How do you get more people in West Virginia? You've got to have more people. Well, I, I'll promise you how you get more people is you cut the personal income tax. That's all there is to it. That will drive people here. But with all that being said, you know, at the end of the day, we want to try to do any and everything we can to make things better for our students and better for our teachers. Now, think about this, Randy. Since I've been here, we did a 5% pay raise, a 5% pay raise, another 5% pay raise, and we want to do another one right now. You know, a 5% pay raise was the, his, the biggest in history, one. You know, well, we've done three and I've proposed the fourth. We need to continue to try to do that because we have got to compete. We have to compete, you know, and we got to compete with border states and everything. So there's all kinds of things you can do, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think we've got to, we've got to reward and pay our, our teachers more, and we've absolutely got to take care of trying to supply aids to where our reading skills and everything will be better for our kids first through the third grade. Arming teachers. Uh... The, S, the SROs, the school, SPOs, school protection officers. What right. do you think about having teachers having concealed carry? Well, I tell you this, you know, I'm a gun owner and I've hunted all my life and everything. And, and, uh, and, and I do not think that guns are killing people. I really think people are killing people. And, and so 
from the standpoint though of really, really bad events that you see that can happen and everything, you know, teachers being, you know, you know, having a, a concealed weapon permit and teachers having knowledge about a weapon and how to, how to store it and protect it and everything, you know, it may very well be the, be the way that we end up going and everything. Because, but I do really believe that, you know, you know uh, an enforcement officer at the school, armed and everything, is a great idea. And really and truly, I probably wouldn't be opposed to the teachers being armed, you know, with the permit, with, with, with the training, whatever. A lot of training. Yeah, we've heard some uh, law enforcement professionals say that without tactical training, maybe it's not a good idea. But then I hear a legislature that a seventh grade teacher says, hey, if somebody comes into my room and I got my kids here, uh, and all I got is a couple of chairs, maybe not a bad idea. I have a gun. So I think that's, that's a good debate for the legislature to have. No, I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, inflation of food goods alone went up 10% in 2022. So why not increase the minimum wage and make every position in West Virginia more competitive? Minimum wage hasn't been raised in West Virginia in seven years. Yeah, Randy, I wouldn't be opposed to that. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you got, you got all kinds of people out there that are really hurting. I mean, that's all there is to it. And, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the principle behind the income tax cut. I mean... We got to do something. I mean, we got to put money in hardworking people's pockets today. That's all there is to it. And we got to, we got to surely try to take care of the, the hungry and the poor and everything. We got to do that. I mean, for crying out loud, it is ridiculous. People going hungry in the state of West Virginia today. And, uh, and there's all kinds of programs, whether it be communities and schools or whatever it may be, game changers, and it goes on and on and on. There's programs that are really helping, but, uh, I would tell you this, I don't think I've ever seen a program in my life, that, and I'm not saying this because of the first lady, but that works like communities and schools. It's really good. But you would be in favor of uh, raising that minimum wage? I mean, we'd look at it. Let's just, let's just leave it there and everything. I think that debate really needs to go on and everything. I don't know, I, I've not heard anything about, about if that is in front of our legislature today, but if it is and everything, let's let them get through that and, you know, if they bring me something that they're supportive of, I'll probably be really supportive of it. Let's talk a little DHHR. Uh, I was talking with Clay Myers yesterday. I met him in person for the first time. Oh, yeah. I was just seeing Good him. Guy. And he said that, yes, it would be possible to implement everything from the McChrystal Report, which kind of gets communication and de-siloing, if you will, right. and perhaps dividing DHHR into two or three separate entities. What are your thoughts now on that? You know, people would be really surprised. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, we hired McChrystal yeah. to do a report, and they did a report, and we paid a lot of money for that report and everything. Well, we ought to have enough sense to listen to the report, you know, and everything. But right behind all that, I put, you know, Dr. Clay Marsh, General Hoyer, and Dr. Coben, you know, basically looking after the store and trying to bring more and more and more of their expertise and, 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 the, and what they did, you know, all through the COVID deal was unbelievable. We know that and everything. We should listen to them. But we should also listen to the House and the Senate. I am not opposed to dividing DHHR at all. If we can make it better, I mean, let's make it better. I mean, for crying out loud, we've got 
thousands of kids that are foster kids and literally absolutely our child protective services people need to be paid more there's stuff we got to do and and everything to make things better you know if there's a methodology on how to make it all better everybody said at the table sure to goodness we got to listen to dr marsh i mean he is a superstar beyond belief but absolutely we got to listen to everybody and if everybody is trying to make things better not get on a soapbox not we don't need braggadocious stuff let's don't do that isn't that perhaps why you vetoed it the first time because you it wasn't thought through it seems like more things are thought through now amy summers is head of the uh, house health committee and right. she's a health person no. it, it's is that right things like no, that's exactly getting right. thought through this better thing now? this thing was just put together on a wing and a prayer two-page deal you know that all of a sudden wham bam you're going to change 6,000 workers in DHHR and just do it on a two-page kind of deal and everything. It was not thought through nearly like it is today. Okay. There's a real opportunity today. Fair enough. PEIA, uh, we heard you talk to some other people about it. And, you know, throughout your term as governor, you've promised every year and you've fulfilled that promise to keep PEIA going with that $100 million every year. And you right. said you'd finish that out. and. You talk to Dale Lee or, or, or Fred Albert, and they'll, say, they'll stand right behind you. But the concern over this $400 million monster that's looming five, six years ahead, you were talking earlier about a methodology that needs to be put together for you or the following governors to, to follow this through. What might that be to salvage PEIA? Well, it's, it's all kinds of things. It's, it's <laughs> from privatization, Okay. It's from, you know, looking at the benefit structures or looking at spouses that have another job that ought to be on somebody else's insurance and everything. It's from border county stuff. It's from all kinds of different things. And, and I welcome that discussion. Now, at the end of the day, I want the net result to be really good for the folks that are on PEI, period. That's all there is to it. And right yet, we have a lot of premature discussion, but what we need to be doing is we need to be, you know, doing what I've, I've been able to do. Keep our PEI premiums without going up, keep our benefits intact and everything, and literally be able to do that with the successes that are going on within the state. There'll have to be a permanent solution. There will have to be at some point in time, but right now the discussions are just premature. Yeah, there's not a real... I mean, everybody's talking about it, but I don't see a dialogue into the, that methodology, into privatization. I well, mean, somebody must be thinking about it somewhere. Well, I, you know, there, there'll be a solution. There will be a solution. But, uh, but right now, you know, what we're doing is in its own way a solution. I mean, hmm. we're doing, we're keeping things at a great level hmm. and we're doing it through the funding that is through surpluses or whatever it may be, and we're able to pull, to pull that off. And so, so it's, you know, the solution we have right now, not the greatest, but it's not bad. Here's something that I've followed from the get-go. It's called the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Commission. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. Right. But as you know, uh, Speaker Hanshaw started this out and um, said, let's go down to the coal fields, let's find out what these communities need, 
They need, they need matching grant money. You know, right. if, you're in this, if you're Madison down there and you got a 30, you need to match 30%, that's hard for you to dig up. So this commission was or, or organized to ma give matching grant money and then help them write grants, because right. writing, writing a grant right. ain't no piece of cake either. So 11 months ago, this was, you signed it into law, yet I, I don't think it's even been formed yet. Yep. So Mitch Carmichael, your, your Secretary of Economic Development, told me just yesterday, well, we're looking at code, because there's the Office of Coalfield Development. They're doing a lot of the same things, not pointed to grants. Where does all that stand now, Governor? Well, to be perfectly honest, you know, the commission can't function if the commission doesn't have the funding to function. And the funding has got to come from the legislature. You know, well, I thought it came from you. No, I think this funding comes from the legislature, hmm. I think. Now, I don't know that specifically. And, and that's the problem. You know, we form something and then everybody gets thinking in 500 different areas and 500 different ways. And a lot of the people, especially in the Coalfields area, where I grew up and everything, really and truly have real need. Now we're doing lots of stuff in the coal fields right now, whether it be water and sewer projects right. or whatever it may right. be. But, you know, if there's any air and, and the Coalfield Expressway, that to me is the, of, of the highways within the state, quarter H, we need, we, need, we need more than anything. Coalfield Expressway second, we need more than anything. So with all that being said, you know, there's things that are going on, but we absolutely need to do more and, and, uh, and all I can say to you is lots of the stuff that you're asking me about there and everything, I just need to get better briefed on. Can you look into this whole Coalfield Commission and really you find all out myself. where it stands? Uh, I just, I've talked to a lot of uh, mayors and county commissioners down there that they're looking for that grant help. And I know there is, a, you know, I looked it up and there's a number of ways the state's helping Coalfield communities right now oh, yeah. that have lost that severance tax and such. But this commission seems to have a good pointed mission. So I'm going to put you on that. No, no. And I'm good. I'm, I'm good to do that and everything. You know, I, I, you know, I need more information to be able to give you a better answer and everything. But literally, I mean, I know you got to fund. It has, my, well, it has to be funded. I, I owe my life, though, okay. to the coal fields, and I owe my life to those people and everything. And so, absolutely, I'll get I'll get better on it. We've, we've been talking about um, EMS recruitment. That your answer to the call program. You put ten million dollars right. into right. that because I know that, geez, they were uh, down a third, nineteen hundred oh, yeah. people. That's right. How's that went? It's it's how's how's that doing? Did yeah. you say? You know, very well, very, very well. You know, and I, I was able to do the commencement at, uh, at the EMS graduation over at the University of Charleston and everything. You know, a program where we're basically, you know, uh, a training level and a, and a amping up of their abilities and everything and, and their qualifications and everything. But, but it's doing very well. We need to do it again. We need to absolutely do that again and everything. It's almost, it almost mimics in many ways what we're doing with nursing. You know, in nursing now we're training and, and, and bringing out more and more and more and more nurses in West Virginia. We need more and more and more EMTs in West Virginia. The other challenge with the EMTs is mental health. Back in the day it was suck it up, you know, because you, those people out there on life and death missions every day, they're sure. seeing things that none of us really, really want to see or yeah. would see. And it's to the point now where there's, they could really use some mental health help. In Florida, they have an app that allows these 
mental or these EMT professionals to get the mental health they need or how to get it or so on and so forth. And, and your secretary, Ratliff, says he's looking into that. Are you familiar with that? And is that important? I am. I'm not as familiar as I need to be, but at the same time, it is very important. I mean, today is, is such a complex world and whether it be, you know, all the different things that are pulling at our children and everything to all the, you know, the, the, just like you said, years ago, you know, you'd have got hit on a football field and, and, you know, and people would have said, well, you don't have a concussion, you just got your bell rung. Now with, with mental health, they say years ago, we'd have said, oh, suck it up, just like what you're saying. But today we realize just how detailed and how serious the situation and without any question, people need assistance and training and everything else under the sun. Um. I left taxes for last because you've been spending a whole lot of time on it. Sure. I don't think there's Thank a you. soul out there that doesn't know about it. And we only got about a minute, minute and a half left. But is there good communication? Are these breakfasts that you're having with uh, legislative leaders, Senate leaders? I mean, it, it sounds like Eric Tarr says that we're just going to run out the clock and not give a proposal. What are your thoughts? That may very well be a strategy. And... And if it's a strategy, it's a crying shame because, you know, the people of this great state deserve so much more than that. I mean, that may be a strategy of a pity party about Amendment 2. And uh, we, we have the money to give real life tax breaks to our people, and we should do that. And that strategy is something that puts money in the hands of our people. And the next thing right behind that, it'll drive growth to West Virginia. Governor, I want to thank you so much for your time. We covered a lot of ground. Straight questions, straight answers. I appreciate it. Randy, you're good. I thank you so much, <laughs> and I appreciate all you do. I really mean that. My pleasure. Back to you, Bob. Thank you, Governor and Randy. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.